This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Good morning. Please turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, if you're our guest today and you don't have a copy of the Scriptures, if you'll raise your hand, our ushers will bring you a free copy. You can take it home with you and you'll be able to follow along this morning. So just raise your hand and leave them up and turn with me to James. The letter of James, we're finishing up a series this week and next week's our, our last look at, at the letter of James. We're going to miss James. He's been good to us. He's helped us. Today we'll be in James, the last chapter, chapter 5, beginning in verse 12 down through verse 18. Please follow along as I read God's holy, inspired, inerrant word. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three and a half years, it didn't rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. As James concludes this letter, he focuses on prayer. He encourages us, regardless of what our circumstances are, speak to the Lord. Whatever situation you're in, speak to the Lord. Verse 12 says, but above all, brothers, my brothers, don't swear, either by heaven or by earth. As we read that, you may remember that Jesus taught the same thing. And we've seen in this letter, James is very concerned about what we say, He's concerned about the tongue, isn't he? And he's still focused on that, what we say to others. An oath involves swearing 
on God's name or swearing on something else that was sacred. People today might say, I swear to God. Or they might say, I swear on a stack of Bibles. Or if you like Westerns, I swear on my mother's grave. Swearing on something sacred is supposed to guarantee that what we're saying is true. But James knew that with the followers of Christ in the, in the church, in the community that follows Christ, they shouldn't have to swear. Jesus said in Matthew 5, don't take an oath at all. Let what you say simply be yes or no. James clearly has been influenced by Jesus. The followers of Christ tell the truth because they're like Christ. They aren't liars. And they relate to one another and others by speaking the truth. So they don't need to swear. doesn't mean you can't take an oath on a Bible when you are in court or on a jury. But it just means with, with followers of Christ, we tell the truth. Christ tells the truth. And have you ever noticed that the people that take oath usually are liars? <laughs> so they're trying to prove they're not a liar. In verse 10 of this chapter, James talked about the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And now, here in verse 14 in our text today, the elders pray for the people in the community in the name of the Lord. God's people do everything in the name of the Lord for the glory of God. And they don't have to swear on anything sacred. They just tell the truth because they speak for His glory. That's the context as we conclude this letter. Verse 14 is actually the only place in the entire letter that the word church is found. It's, it's the New Testament word in the Greek for church. Literally, it means those called out of the world. It's the, it's the same word that is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, when we read things like here in, in Deuteronomy 9 from the law of Moses, Moses said to God's people, the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And on them were all the words that the Lord had spoken with you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly. On the day when all those that God had called out of the world were together. It's kind of the church, if you will, of the Old Testament. It's the same used that, uh, word that uh, Jesus used in Matthew 16 when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's what Paul, it's the organization, the group, the organism, the group of people Paul referred to by the the word, the term, the phrase, body of Christ. It's the church. That's who James has had in mind this entire letter. That's who he's been thinking of. And now he's explicit. When he was writing, the church was scattered. It was suffering. It was dispersed. They were experiencing various trials. And this, this letter is the wisdom book of the New Testament. They need wisdom. And he's saying to these people, let the sick person call for the elders 
of the church, the pastors of a local church. And it reminds us, first of all, how relevant this letter is. But also it reminds every local church that they're a part of the church throughout history, the church in every locality. We're followers of Christ, the, the church in every location. We don't swear on our mother's grave because we speak the truth to one another for the glory of Christ. We're called out of the world by the gospel. And James calls these folks in verse 7 of this chapter, brothers, and here now in verse 12, my brothers. He repeats this again and again because he's thinking of this community that's been formed by the gospel. And that's the context we find ourselves in today. James cares about these people. They're experiencing trial. They're the, the church, the community for God's glory. And he wants to impart wisdom today. We're, we're invited in this text this morning to ask three questions so that we can respond in our different circumstances with wisdom. The first question, what are your circumstances? Secondly, how should you respond to your current situation? And finally, how, who can you ask to pray for you? So first of all, what are your circumstances? Anyone suffering in any way today? Anyone meeting trials of various kinds? Anyone cheerful today? Anyone who has happy circumstances? Things are going well. Things you're enjoying. Is anyone sick specifically? Physically ill? Maybe, maybe this week you learned of an illness. What are your circumstances? This text is engaging us. Verse 13, is anyone among you suffering in general? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. He doesn't cover every situation, but it's very broad. He's, he's concerned about how we respond these various situations. Last week, he talked about patience and not grumbling, and now he's pointing us to prayer, and he is a wise pastor who cares about these people. The other night, we, my wife and I babysit once a week for our six grandchildren, call it Cousins Night, and they, they found an old book that told them how to make paper airplanes. And I came downstairs and one of the kids said, Grandfather, we're making paper airplanes. And that was good to know because I looked like they just found the printing paper and just trashed the basement. So I was glad there was some, something positive going on. There were paper airplanes flying all over the room. I almost lost an eye. I, I, I told one of the kids, hey, careful there, don't hit Grandfather in the the face, which of course meant now I'm going to really take aim, and went right after me and hit almost the exact same spot. Very talented young man. <laughs> but I have a three-year-old grandson who was participating with the older kids, and he was having fun coming over to me. This is what he was doing. 
he, he, he had his most instructor-like voice and his most instructor-like face. Okay, now, grandfather, this is how you make a paper airplane, okay? And so then he would, he would get down, he would fold the paper very carefully down the middle, then a couple other places, explaining every step of the way, looking up at me, making sure I'm paying careful attention. When he finished, he would stand up with the ugliest paper airplane you've ever seen, and he would throw it, and every time it would land exactly on his foot. It would go absolutely nowhere. And then he would look at me and say, like, any questions? Did you get that? And then he would do it again, repeat. Okay, now watch very carefully. I can tell by looking at you, you didn't get it that last time. I didn't have any questions, but I'm thinking the kid that keeps hitting me in the eye, that's who I'm going to talk to about how to make a paper airplane. He seems to know what he's doing. Listen, the point is, is that living life has a lot of problems in it. It's, we need wisdom. There's a lot of problems, sometimes prosperity. Good things can be the biggest test of all. We, we need wisdom, and there's lots of people out there these days with solutions. They're like my grandson. They look at you, and they got the look of an instructor. They sound like they know what they're talking about. But a lot of times, how they teach you to live life in this fallen world just doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't fly like that airplane. And James is very aware that those that he is writing to, they need wisdom. They need the power to see where do you want to go. And they, they, they need the power to choose the right path to get there. They need wisdom. Wisdom affects your life, regardless of your circumstances. That's the message. That's the message. You need Wisdom. James is no teacher in an ivory tower that has no idea what's going on in real life. He's boots on the ground. He's practical wisdom. He's given instructions for real problems all along in this letter. He keeps circling back to the same thing. He's got the same things in mind as we're closing this letter. Very practical. How do, you, how do you handle conflict in relationships? How do you deal with the fact that we don't all have the same amount of money? Some people are wealthy and some people aren't. How do you do that in community? How do you avoid the tr temptation to treat the wealthy better? What do you do when you're sick? What should you do when you're ill? That's what the book of James is addressing. He he helps us understand our problem and helps us understand where we're going. So he asks us here as he closes the letter, what's your circumstance? Now let's think back. There's some themes here that, uh, that apply. It's, a, it's the wisdom book. His audience that he's writing to, they, they value wisdom. They treasure wisdom. These are Old Testament people. It's a letter that was written very shortly after Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead. It's a very old letter. 
And these are Old Testament. They understand. Seek wisdom. So he said in chapter 1, if you lack wisdom, ask God. He'll give it to you generously. It's just what you need. These instructions work. How should you respond just to suffering in general? How should you respond when you're cheerful? How should you respond when you're sick? The exclamation mark is on prayer. We're going to focus on that the most. But suffering and the example of Elijah reminds us that, that even the great prophets of the Old Testament suffers. So pause and be encouraged to know if you are experiencing trials, the Lord has you in mind this morning. And that alone is encouraging. He wants to help you today. And if you're cheerful, I thought about Zach and Sarah Varnell. They had a little baby girl, Olive, on Friday, or Jonathan and Adair Edwards. They had a little baby girl on Thursday, Francis. All the families are cheerful, and they should be. How do you respond? Have you ever responded poorly when you're cheerful? I get more trouble when I'm cheerful, personally. I do better. You know, I like to say, I just can't stand prosperity. If things start going well, I get in trouble. So James has some wisdom for us about when you're cheerful. The second question we're asked is, how should you respond to specific, current, your current situation? So this morning, for everyone in here, you're going to get some wisdom from James, I think, regardless of what your situation is. How do you respond to particulars? I want you to notice, more than anything else, there's a community element in this text. There's a corporate element. I so appreciated Mike's testimony because he basically preached the sermon for me. I'm tempted to skip this part because he did a great job of talking about how our faith is corporate. There's a, there's a community element. James is talking about, don't miss this, corporate prayer. He, he's talking about corporate confession. You want to know why we just prayed a prayer together because we're a community. We're the church, those called out of the world to follow Christ. We're a community related to the community that James was writing to and all the community since then, the churches since then. We're a community and there's a corporate element to our faith. The people he's writing to are members of a local church. They didn't understand anything about a Christian who wasn't a member of a local church. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That's why it's fun to honor members of the church because there's not envy and competition. 
Because we're all being honored when one member is honored. And when one suffers, we all suffer. Your suffering affects the whole community. When the families are celebrating a new birth, everybody is rejoicing. Because we're a community. We're brothers. We're sisters. We're in Christ. We're joined together. Remember, James has written repeatedly about anger. Why did he do that? Don't respond to your circumstances with anger. He knows that Satan wants to crush God's people. He knows he wants to destroy the church. He's the ancient dragon. He is enraged that Jesus came. Jesus is bringing life, and Satan lies. He promises life, but he delivers death. Lies are his strategy. Followers of Christ tell the truth, but Satan lies. He lies about God. He says that God is not good. He says that God does not bring joy. He will not satisfy your soul. Satan lies about you. He lies about me. He likes to tell us, you're good. He likes to tell us our desires are good. James comes in and corrects this. He's a pastor. He's not afraid of what you think about him. He's a faithful pastor and he will correct you and he will say your desires are selfish and they harm you and they harm others and they don't glorify God. But Satan comes in, he's divisive. And, and James deals with anger because anger looks like Satan. It summons him. It means we're in league with him. It divides relationships. James preaches wisdom, humility, confession of sin. Oh, it binds people together. And right in the middle of our text, we have this wonderful promise of forgiven. In verse 15, he will be forgiven. That's a promise. That's why we can confess sin. That's why we can talk about sin. He will be forgiven. The community will be forgiven. There is forgiveness in Christ. Remember last week, it's confession with a smile. God's going to destroy the work of Satan. And that's what James is after. He's protecting God's people. So how do you respond to your circumstances? If you're cheerful, specifically, let him sing praise. James' main concern is prayer, but we also learn that wisdom means singing praise when you prosper, when you're cheerful. Praise is always the first thought of God's people. God's people are always praising him in every circumstance, always, constantly, we live in the wonder of God before our eyes. No matter what circumstance you're in, you came here this morning and we sang God's praises and we should. Shouldn't just be the little section. Okay, all those of you cheerful, you go over here, you sing praises, the rest of us, not so much. There's a commitment we have to praise Him. We praise Him to glorify Him. We bless Him. We consider who He is. So we can all consider who He is this morning. He's God 
He's the Lord. He's the Redeemer. He's our Creator. And we bless Him. We think about who He is. We're in awe of Him. We wonder at who this great God is and we praise Him for who He is. We bless Him for every situation. We are praising God. We don't have to thank Him necessarily for every situation, although I think someday we will thank Him even for the difficulties and distresses, but we are called to praise Him in every circumstance, regardless of what we're experiencing, even in the worst of time. So, of course, when we are cheerful, when things are going well, we're feeling it, we should sing praises to God, but James knows often. Like the boastful merchant, remember him? He didn't sing God's praises. He knows that the test of prosperity is more difficult than the test of adversity. God gives us things and blesses us and we don't sing our praises. So listen, God is saying to you, if you're cheerful today, sing His praises. Sing His praises. I want to release those of you who can't sing. I ask permission to give this illustration. And my wife said it's 100% okay with her to let you know she's a lot of things, but one thing she is not is a singer. She is a wonderful person. I love her more than anyone else, but she can't sing, not a lick. And this doesn't mean she doesn't try. I can tell when she is cheerful. I was thinking about this illustration, thinking, do I really want to get myself in trouble with this, I walked in yesterday morning, and I mean she was cheerful. She had her headphones on, and her and Bob Coughlin were nice and loud, but you couldn't hear Bob Coughlin. All you could hear was her. And I, I rushed to make sure all the windows were down so none of the neighbors would think someone was injured. <laughs> She's right to sing. And I tell her, make a joyful noise to the Lord, sweetheart. I love to hear her sing. I'm glad. What she doesn't have in terms of a voice, she makes up for with, in terms of a cheerful heart. And my kids will tell you, there's nothing like it. Nothing like hearing her Sing to the Lord. I love it. I'm glad now it's just me and Longmire that get to hear her. The only ones to tickets to the show. Sing to the Lord when you're cheerful. Sing to the Lord. It's not unimportant. And, and think about this morning. So why do we sing this morning? Why will we sing next Sunday? Because we should sing praises to God. How should you respond to the current situation? If you're suffering, you should pray. If you're cheerful, you should sing praises. Don't forget to sing praises when you're cheerful. And finally, 
call the elders of the church when you're sick. So that, the que third question is, who can you ask to pray for you? Who can you call? His main point is pray, and we're in a community. Who can you call to pray for you? Verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Pray in all circumstances. But then verse 14, is any, anyone among you sick? Now you would think the response would be, let him pray too. But that's not what he says. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Why should we pray? Verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person. This is a person who is forgiven of their sins because of Christ. Remember the gospel right now. This is not about people who are inherently righteous. They're like Jesus Christ, the only man who never one time sinned. That's who, who James has in mind is the people that have been forgiven because this righteous man lived a perfect life but then gave his life away and died on a cross and God raised him from the dead for our justification. That's who he has in mind. Those united to him by faith. That's the righteous person. We confess our sins and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then you're called a righteous person. That's, that's who he has in mind. The Christian, the believer, the one united to Christ by faith who trusts in the good news about Christ. The prayer of that person has great power. It's powerful. Prayer of a righteous person causes things to happen that don't happen if the prayers don't happen. We pray because, as J.I. Packer says, it is not we who control the world. Prayer is an acknowledgement of God's sovereign power and of our dependence on Him to act on our behalf, we, when we pray, it is an expression of the fact that we trust Him and we're relying on Him. That's why we pray. The Bible says everything we need is in God, and He is willing, He is able to give us everything because of Christ, and He invites us to call on Him in Jesus' name. And so, in Jesus' name, because of Christ, we can come boldly to the throne of the King of Kings, the only sovereign one that rules his creation providentially. The gospel tells us Christ is our mediator, our priest, our great high priest. He's offered himself up as our substitute. He had perfect obedience, and he's the perfect sacrifice. And now all the Father's mercies belong to those who come to him through faith. 
including healing. It's a mercy. And it comes to us because of Christ. God heals sick people. Just got an update on Brendan Jap. April 13th, last year, diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. I was in the hospital with him when he got the report. Shortly after he got the report, it was not good. He was in more faith than I was. Cancer's been hard on this community. I was weary of cancer. The, the scan this week showed that two of the three tumors we were thinking about going after with radiation are already dead. The rest of his body was completely negative on the scan. There's only like a one half inch tumor in, in one part of his body. And his, he did, they did a, a lung test because he was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And they did a, a lung test. And it was 135% of, ex, of, of the expected volume. Yeah. Answered prayer. And they were shocked. It was 35% more lung capacity than a typical human, 125% more than I have. God heals sick people. And some of you can say, well, it's just the medicine. Look, I've been down this road as a pastor many times. The medicines often don't work. It's a miracle. I, I think it's a miracle. I think we're all amazed. If you'd have been in that hospital room on April 13th last year, you would understand what a miracle this is and how thankful we are. How cheerful we are. The question comes, to, you know, does James 5 guarantee healing? If, if a person isn't healed, is it because of insufficient faith? Don't have time to get into it, but the Bible is clear. Not every sick person is healed. And we can never really know for sure why some people are healed and some aren't, aren't healed. We do know from Scripture that sometimes sickness is caused by sin. And that's why James is quick to say in connection with praying for sickness, confess your sins and promises forgiveness. We know some sickness remains for the glory of God. God wants to heal a person and bring glory to Himself. Some sickness remains for mysterious reasons that we don't know right now in this age. Someday we will understand. But what we do know now is God heals the sick. We do know that. That's why James says this. Not, not every sick person is healed, but God does heal the sick. Why do we pray? You know, God knows what we need before we ask but according to Scripture, He's chosen to meet our needs through our prayers. He isn't looking for information. But He doesn't answer our requests automatically. Whatever you ask for in prayer, it will be yours, Jesus said in Mark 11. 
This anointing oil in verse 14 is a, is a symbol of blessing. And it, it serves in the context of prayer. There's a sense that a sick person is encouraged and comforted. God is present in prayer. John Calvin taught much about God's sovereignty and His providence. That God's in control, that He knows the future. He said this, words fail to explain how necessary prayer is. Never let the teaching on the sovereignty of God hinder your prayers. It should inspire and encourage your prayers. It means he has all power. If you're suffering, pray. If you're sick, call for the elders of the church. God, the sovereign God, has ordained creation in such a way that prayer is effective. We should pray to him because that's the way he governs. He's established prayer so that answered prayer fulfills what he ordains. And we're going to miss blessings from God if we don't pray. And that's why after this meeting, we are going to invite you to come, and we're going to have our prayer team and our elders here with anointing oil if you're sick and you'd like to be anointed with oil. And we're going to pray for you in obedience to these verses, trusting the Lord that He will answer our prayers. Jonathan Edwards, the, the great American pastor and theologian, had a message called, The Most High, A Prayer-Hearing God. He talked about how blessed we are to have somewhere to go when we're in trouble. Most of the world, most mankind, don't, they, they, don't, they don't have a place to go. We're different. We, this true God has, has made known to us. He's infinite in grace and mercy and compassion. And it's such a high privilege that he, that he says, come to him with great confidence. He encourages us. He invites us to come and pray. Edwards puts it like only a Puritan can it's amazing that worms of the dust should have such power with God by prayer. Congratulations, you worm of the dust. You can pray. John Piper said this, The gospel commands us to give up and hang out a help-wanted sign. This is the basic meaning of prayer. Hang out a help-wanted sign. Then the gospel promises that God will work for us if we do. Are you anxious about your teenagers? Are you anxious about your job? Are you anxious? Are you worried? Are you fearful about going to the doctor this week? Hang out a help wanted sign. That's the basic meaning of prayer. The gospel promises God will work for us if we do. He will not surrender the glory of being the giver. He's the giver. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. It's surprising. We think he would say in this context, you pray, but he doesn't. Call for the leaders. Why call for the elders, the pastors, the leaders of the church? It's not because their prayers have special power. It's because they represent you. They represent God's people. They represent this community that God has promised to bless. There's a community. There's a, there's a corporate nature to our faith. 
We, we are not called to live out the Christian life by ourselves. And we are wise when we get others to pray for us. Who can you ask to pray for you, regardless of your circumstances? Whatever your circumstances, speak to the Lord. Pray, sing praises, call for the elders. James has focused throughout this letter on the importance of prayer. And now we're going to go to him in prayer and trust him for answered prayer. I'd like the team to come up. We're going we're gonna to have our prayer team to come up. We have a worship team to come up. We're going to return to singing. Everyone can return to singing with us. And I'd like to invite those of you who would like to be prayed for, regardless of your circumstances. We have a team that's trained and ready to pray for you. The pastors want to pray for you. Don't be hesitant to come and be prayed for in just a minute. Now, I want to conclude with prayer. So I ask the Lord just to bless this time. We, we're trusting the Lord that He is going to answer some specific requests this morning. So Lord, we've been thinking about this morning all week because of this wonderful text that you've given us. And so, Lord, now we pray for our time, our second Sunday ministry time of prayer and pray for our the folks that will be praying, Lord. And most of all, we just ask you to hear our prayers as promised in your word. Lord, we're stepping out in faith now because, Lord, we believe your word. So come and bless your people. Bless this congregation with answered prayer. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.